Welcome to the Proven Principles Podcast by Knowing Hospitality, the show that deconstructs and demystifies the inner workings of the hotel industry. Here's your host, Adam Knight. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. My guest today is Josh Kopel. He's the owner of Proven Proper, CEO of Flow Hospitality, and host of the Full Comp Podcast. I asked Josh to come on the show today to talk about what is essentially pivoting. Not long ago, Josh wound down Prune Proper, a restaurant in downtown LA, and he's got great perspective on what that process was actually like and how he came to the decision to do it. I think that there's a ton of really, not just, it's not just an interesting story, but there's a lot of really good information and lessons learned through the process that I think translate in the podcast here to people who may be facing some of the same challenges. So I hope you get some good information from the show. But before we get to it, if you could just take a couple seconds to hop over to your podcast player and leave a rating and a review for the show, not only does it allow us to put together better content, but more reviews and ratings help the show get found by new listeners. You know, these algorithms reward that kind of thing. So the more that we get, the easier it is for people who are looking for the type of content that we're putting together to find the show. It would help us out tremendously. So that's enough talk. Let's just get right to the show. Josh Kopel on Pivoting. Enjoy. Josh, man, it's so great to meet you face to face and have you on the show. Thanks for doing this. It's my pleasure. It's, uh, you know, we got connected, what, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, just through the, the kind of the roundabout hospitality restaurant um, feeds on LinkedIn and Facebook. Um, you're a busy guy. You got a lot going I, on. I, I try and stay busy. I mean, technically, I'm still unemployed. But I, uh, I do like to keep busy. I mean, you can't, you got to laugh, right? Because if you can't laugh about it, I mean, what are you going to do? Absolutely. Well, it's, I think that life is whatever you make of it. And so when the pandemic hit, I turned to my wife and I said, this is an opportunity. Now, did I mean that? Uh, kind of. Yes. I, I, I thought an opportunity would come from it. I, I've spent mm-hmm. my entire career planting seeds. I thought this would be a great opportunity to see what blooms. Yeah, no, I, I like that message. I mean, it's looking for opportunities in difficult times. I mean, that's how so many people came out of some of the previous uh, downturns that we had and created these things that we use today that are ubiquitous in our lives and not just in hospitality, but, but in every day. Uh, there's no doubt that there's people working on something uh, right now that is probably going to change the way we look at our businesses and, and hospitality, restaurant service, whatever. Um, this is, I said this the other day on a podcast, this, this is the crucible where that stuff gets made. So it's pretty exciting that uh, um, to look to the future, I guess, to be optimistic. I couldn't agree with you more. I, it's a level playing field for the first time maybe ever in my lifetime. Billionaires are millionaires, millionaires are hundred thousandaires, hundred thousandaires are broke. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's me. And, you know, I, I like to think of myself as street smart and, and savvy and a hustler in, in, in a positive way. And, and so, like, you know, especially as a restaurateur, like we thrive in adverse conditions. Yeah, there's no doubt. So you've got your hands in prune proper. Yes. Got your hands in flow hospitality. Yes. You got the full comp podcast. Yep. Among other things, you just released uh, a guide to restructuring restaurants that just came yes. out a few days ago. Where do you find time to do all this stuff? I don't sleep, but I didn't <laughs> sleep much before. Um, I have a two-year-old daughter, so I, that doesn't that doesn't allow for a lot of sleep. But I was used to working eighty to hundred hour weeks, and 
you know, what fuels me is passion. And I, I spent my whole life dedicated to serving my local communities through, through restaurants. And then when the pandemic happened, I saw an opportunity to serve my industry in the same way I had serviced my community. And like no BS, it has been the most rewarding experience of my entire life. Not only have I had the opportunity to learn, but I've had the opportunity to share that education with, with my industry cohorts. Uh, and hopefully, you know, it's had a positive impact. So how did you get to be where you are today? What's the, the, the Josh origin story? That's a great question. Um, it, it comes from a total unattachment to outcome. Uh, everybody okay. can trace, and this is something I've actually never shared with anyone. So my, the, the start of my, my real professional career started at Kinko's on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood, California. I, uh, I was Xeroxing bartending resumes. I, I had just moved out to, to Los Angeles. I was Xeroxing bartending resumes to, this was the very early 2000s, 2000, 2001. Mm-hmm. And, and I, was, I was Xeroxing these resumes to go drop off at a bunch of bars. Uh, and while I was there, there was this guy that walked in and he had one of those little gem boxes, you know, you enter your mm-hmm. name to win a year long membership. Yeah. And I was in, I was in pretty good shape at the time I was a young man. I was like 20, 21 years old. And I turned to the guy and I said, Hey man, are you guys hiring? And he goes, I, I mean, maybe, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, what kind of jobs are there? <laughs> and he Anything. goes, well, you know, yeah. And he goes, well, you could be a sales guy or you could be a personal trainer. I said, I'll be a personal trainer. And he goes, you have an accent. Where are you from? I said, I'm from Louisiana. He goes, oh, my whole family's from Mississippi. Do this. Come to 24-Hour Fitness. That's the gym I work at. I'll vouch for you and they'll give you a job as a personal trainer. And I was like, cool. So the next day I went to 24-Hour Fitness. Now I'm new to LA. What I didn't know is there are 10 24-Hour Fitnesses in Los Angeles. (laughs) (laughs) So I spent the next week going from gym to gym to gym. Eventually I found him. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And I walked up and he goes, what's your name? And I said, Josh. And he goes, okay, come with me, Josh. He walked over to the operations manager, said, hey, this is my best friend in the world, Josh. He's from Baton Rouge. You got to give him a job. And I, I got that job. And that was huh. my first job in LA. And the reason it's meaningful is this. While I was working at that job, a guy named Ronning was working the door at a popular nightclub in Hollywood. Uh-huh. They needed a patio bartender one random Tuesday night. And he knew I had bartended in Baton Rouge. Okay. He called me up and said, hey, this was like out of the blue at 10 o'clock at night. He goes, hey, do you want to come in and work this little patio bar station at this nightclub? I said, yes. Out of the blue, put on my huh. pants, went out there, did the job, did a great job with the job. Ended mm-hmm. up general manager of that nightclub six, six weeks later. Oh my God. From that nightclub, I got a bug in my ass to start a clothing line because I was inspired by one of the celebrities that came in to start a clothing line. Mm-hmm. Started a clothing line, leveraging my relationship with those celebrities to, to grow to eight countries, uh, almost a thousand doors in the US. We sold through Barney's New York, Nordstrom, Kitson. We oh were in gosh. all of the major boutiques. Three mm-hmm. years later, I licensed that to buy my first bar in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Bought that bar in Hollywood, ran that for 10 years. My sophomore effort was pro and proper. A location I found because it was located across the street from my office when I owned a clothing line in downtown LA. 
And the reason I tell you that long, exhaustive, boring ass story is this. Had I not asked that dude at Kinko's if they were hiring, I don't know where I would be today. Just ask the question, right? So many people get paralyzed by that. They're the fear of rejection, the fear of looking stupid. I don't know what it is, but you know, what, what is it? The Wayne Gretzky quote, you lose a or you don't make a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. You got to ask. I've never been afraid to fall on my ass. I've never been afraid to ask for help. I've never been afraid to be vulnerable. And that's, it's almost like a superhero-esque quality. It kind of is, right? Yeah. And and, I mean, in these days, man, everybody's kind of in the same boat one way or another and and asking for help um, can lead you, especially today, down these paths that you may not even know are there. You just need someone to kind of light the way for you. Well, and when you look at the the utter decimation of the hospitality industry, whether we're talking about travel, food and beverage, or uh, hotels and, and accommodations, what, what you see is this. You, you see a bunch of people that were pretending to do much better than they were, and they were afraid to ask for help because they were afraid of being judged. I am as guilty of that as the next person, which is why I started the show. Because the show... The show wasn't about anyone other than me saying, I don't understand this. I don't know how I ended up here. I'm not in a great spot. I can't imagine I'm alone. And I asked everyone I had idolized in the industry what they thought about that. Mm -hmm. And today, uh, that's led to coming out and being a voice for the industry for change that needs to happen in the industry for providing um, kind of learning and development opportunities for people. I mean, you've, you've, it seems like you've really pivoted into an area that uh, hasn't had a lot of attention in our industry in the past, but I think people have been uh, quietly begging for it for a long time. It, it, it all starts with a foundational question, right? Like what would this look like if it was simple? Why is it that in my industry, I have to work 80 to 100 hours a week to break even? Why is it possible that I, why is it impossible for me to create any distance between me and my own business when there are some people that make millions of dollars and they don't even run their own business? Mm-hmm. Why, is it, why is it that I can top line $3.4 million, true story, and net out less than 10%? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, do you know how many things you can go do and make $300,000 that don't require soul-sucking work 80 to 100 <laughs> hours a week? Yeah. But there's this weird badge of honor at the same time, or there was, about you know putting in that number of hours and, and hustling and working that hard uh, to, to, and not recognizing the cost of that on the backside, because it does come at a cost. You could put all of your time and energy into building your career in hospitality, but you don't have energy for everything and things eventually start to fall away. They do. There's a cost associated with it. So Pro & Proper is officially closed for now. It will not reopen in the location that it was in originally. I wrote an op-ed for LA Weekly talking about it. And what I talked about in this lengthy article wasn't about losing the restaurant. It was about everything I traded to keep the restaurant. Mm. And I think that we've all made those sacrifices. And at the end of the day, one of the big aha moments for me, once I started spending more time with my family during the pandemic, was that 
they weren't the big losers when I wasn't around. Mm-hmm. I was the big loser. My daughter's never going to remember what it was like to be one or two or three. But in not being around, I won't remember what she was like at one or two or three. And that's a tragedy for me, not for her. Right. It's like uh, this forced reprioritizing um, has been needed. It's it's healthy in a way, even though it's it's such as this weird dichotomy because, you know, you got to do the reprioritization and there's a, there's, you know, I want to talk to you a little bit about unraveling the business and kind of how that all came about. That's really difficult to do, but the benefits on the other side, the, the, the time you get with your family and, and the development of your other side of what you're trying to do here um, is positive. So I guess there's this push and pull right now that uh, can be hard to get your head around. It's all positive. Yeah. I quit. I quit and I quit because I looked at it and I said, this isn't for me anymore. And I didn't care how much time I had put into it. I didn't care how much money I had put into it. There is courage in strategic quitting and looking mm-hmm. at your life and saying, this isn't working for me. And, and I can tell you, even though it was, it was time intensive, it was laborious to unwind the business. Mm-hmm. The hardest part was making the decision. After that, you know, the past is prologue, right? It, at that point, you're just you're just easily unwinding something uh, that that no longer needed to exist, at least yeah. in my life. So, how did you get to that point where you eventually made the decision? Prune Proper has to close. The decision. So, here's what's interesting: the decision had less to do with Prune Proper has to close, and more to do with Prune Proper needs to change. Mm. Um, and. and not really knowing what the the future landscape of hospitality looks like. Uh, I thought we were, I thought we were adventurous in choosing to open two blocks off Skid Row in a hundred year old building that's 6,000 square feet across two stories in a virgining community. You know, you feel like an explorer. You feel like you're committing to something that, that, that has the potential to have long-term resonance. Uh, but I don't know what the future of downtown looks like or the f- future of that neighborhood or the future of communities in general relative to independent restaurants. I don't know what our product mix looks like. And we used to charge almost $30 for a plate of catfish. I don't know if people mm. want that anymore. What I do know is that I need flexibility to figure that out. And having a leasehold that was $21,000 a month is not going to give me the flexibility I need. I just watched you swallow your tongue, Adam. Like, but seriously, $21,000 a month. Like your options are incredibly limited, right? And I needed more options. And so in order to get those, because I'll give you a great example. So to do 3.4 million out of 6,000 square feet uh, with a new retail model paired with delivery and takeout, paired with cocktails to go, paired with dine-in, can I make the same money at a 3,000 square feet? I bet I can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I bet I can do it with less overhead. Right. And right. so, but if you're saddled with 6,000 square feet, then the question isn't, what's the most efficient business model? The question is, how am I going to pay my rent? The question right. is, right, how do I make sense out of this square footage? How do I utilize every square foot to make more money? And I just mm-hmm. don't, I don't want to answer those questions. I feel like I've spent 
my entire professional career asking the wrong question. Restaurants are effectively, you know, the, the example of a 6,000 square foot restaurant operating in a 3,000 square foot place. That's a lot of restaurants have been forced to do that anyway. If you've got these capacity reductions, you know, you, at, you can run at 50% at best. That's not even really the case, right? It's usually around 20 or 25%, at least up here in Washington. Um, and the, one of the things that I'm, I, I was hopeful and I, I was happy to see about in the summer, and now that the weather, at least in the Northwest, is starting to turn, uh, all of these, the expansion of outdoor dining was great for these places. Uh, we saw, you know, streets getting closed down, uh, expansion of terraces and in places that they never existed before. The city really tried to do what they could so their restaurants could recoup at least a little bit of money when the weather was nice. Now that that's going away, um, you know, we're kind of back to where we were when this pandemic kicked off in terms of capacity and people not really knowing how they're, if they're going to stay open and whatnot. And one thing that I hadn't started looking at, this thought occurred to me today, is that in the Southern Hemisphere, a lot of restaurants, they, they're just coming out of winter and they're coming into summer. So they're dealing with mm-hmm. what we dealt with. I wonder if there's anybody in the Southern Hemisphere that had started to kind of figure out the model of operating a restaurant when the weather's not great, when that outdoor dining goes away. Because um, in places like Seattle and the Northern part of the country, that's a real issue that is about to be slapped on your plate. I get it. And, and to be quite candid, I, I don't have a solution and I haven't seen one. Wait, the pivots that you'll see are, are going to come in leveraging tech mm. to, to, to reduce overhead and improve efficiency. Something that you've never really heard people talk about in hospitality right. because it's always appeared inhospitable. Mm-hmm. I believe that there's a way to leverage tech to bring more humanity to the table to the customer service experience. And I think that you see restaurateurs that have been super old school beginning, beginning to look in that direction as well. I also think that you have communities and neighborhoods and residents and patrons, however you want to look at them, that are more pliable than they've ever been before. I think that if you turn to uh, a patron and you said, you can't call the restaurant anymore, at least in the near term, you're going to have to use online chat because that's what I can afford. And I want to take care of you, but you're going to have to get taken care of in these terms. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, everyone would have clutched their pearls when hearing that idea six months ago. It's true. But today it's the difference between opening and closing. Yeah. You might have to order at the counter. You might have to order from your phone before you even show up to the restaurant. And like, if you want to see independent restaurants and hoteliers survive this, it's just about embracing change and saying mm-hmm. there needs to be buy-in from everyone. If you like the big hotel chains, if you like the big restaurant chains, invest your money there. But I don't think that that's what builds culture and communities. I think it's mm-hmm. the independent hoteliers. I think it's the independent restaurant owners that are really employing the residents in the area and really informing the culture of community. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. It's conquering the five feet around you. And hotels forever, forever have resisted allowing locals into the building. If you're not a guest, you can't come in here. Uh, you know, you can't use our gym. You, you, you can't, you know, sit at our bar. Um, you know, you're lucky if you can walk through the lobby in a non-holiday time to go, you know, go look at the trees or whatever. Um, 
but that has to change because it's the people around you that are going to sustain you. Nobody's going to a destination place. You're not going to a destination restaurant anymore unless it's around the corner from your house. You're not going to a destination hotel unless the same thing. Um, everybody's got to look at this a different way. But here, here's a big take home. I think that hospitality will never go out of style. I think that hospitality is still going to be central to not only our industry, but every other industry. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that we can light the path forward for everyone. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. The, that's an interesting segue, I think, to get into how you, the industry guide for restructuring restaurants that you put together. So you, you did it with the help of Yelp, Oyster Sunday, and Cornell Hotel School. Yep. How did that come about? What was the genesis of it? And, and what are you hoping to provide with it? Because it is a robust document and, it, and oh, yeah. very impressive. I read it the other day. I'll link to it in the show notes. So anyway, I'll stop talking about it because I want to get your take on it. It's, uh, it's a pretty impressive thing that you did. Thanks, man. I had almost nothing to do with it. Uh, it was it was a selfish act, really no different than the podcast. After doing the podcast for multiple months and looking at all of these resource guides that everyone else had created, they all seemed incomplete. And I, I still didn't have a path forward for myself. What I had was access that nobody else had. I had access mm -hmm. to world-class consumer data through Yelp. And I had had the team at Oyster Sunday and the Dean of Cornell University on the show. Uh, you know, with season two, we interviewed John Taffer. So I reached out to him because, you know, he's got his own plan for resetting America as well. And, and I asked everyone to supply in, in peace and in part, you know, what was working for them? What are the strategy, strategies that we can utilize today to survive? And then, you know, What's the plan to thrive post-pandemic? Mm -hmm. I don't see any point in bailing out a failed concept, a failed industry, a failed business model. Mm -hmm. Like if we're going to do this and we're going to do it right and we're going to invest our time and our effort in saving this industry, this needs to be a Phoenix-type moment. We need mm -hmm. to be reborn through fire into something new and different and better. And I think that for the hospitality industry, it requires adopting these foundational business principles that are utilized in every other industry but ours. And I think in the, in the hotel and accommodation space, I think they need to begin to adopt the, like that local restaurant mentality and say, we are, we are here to serve guests from outside of the community, but we also have a central focus on serving our community as well. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many conversations I've been in, in boardrooms, in hotels over the years, talking about how do we get locals into our restaurant? You know, the, because for a lot of time, a, lo a long time, hotel restaurants, they, they've been relegated to amenities. They don't make any money. They, in a lot of cases, they lose a lot of money for a hotel. And there's, there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, they're very expensive. They're not easy to get to. Uh, and there's a perception issue that they're just not very good. Um, and that's not the case. Um, I mean, you've got some pretty incredible talent working in, in some of these hotel restaurants. Okay. Um, but you know, there are fundamental issues that need to change. And I, I, I'd like to get your take on what some of those things are, because 
because on one hand, you're going to have people listening to this saying, well, my hotel restaurant can't act like a local spot. You know, we've got all of these other elements that are preventing us from doing that. Um, and the first one that comes to mind, maybe it's unionized uh, in a hotel, whereas a standalone restaurant down the street wouldn't be. Um, what are some of the things for you that you're talking about with people out there that you'd like to see change in the restaurant space going forward? I, I think that's a great question. I, I think that that where where people are missing the boat, myself included, when so when I ran my restaurant, let's just talk about me. Yeah. Um, because yeah. I don't I don't want to solve anyone else's problems because I don't I don't know if I'm uniquely qualified to do that. But if I open Pro and Proper again tomorrow, uh, we would have been less of a restaurant and more of a media company. So where I think we're all missing the boat is hoteliers, as restaurateurs. I think we're missing the boat by not effectively communicating with our audience. So you look at the neighborhood and you try and discern what it is they want, whether it's a hotel or it's a restaurant. But ultimately, just like when you have a real live child, they will eventually tell you who they are, what they're about, what they want, what their needs are, and how they want you to function within their lives. Mm-hmm. And the same is true of a restaurant or a hotel or a hotel within a restaurant, right? Mm-hmm. So the only way to know that is to start that conversation. And it starts with you, not with them. So I would have worked to have written blogs and recorded videos and, you know, actively communicated with people through social media. It's never been easier to reach our neighborhoods, to reach our audiences. And I would ask, you know, what do you think about what we're doing? Mm -hmm. This is the goal behind it. Are we hitting that target? I'll give you a great example. So there's this guy named Raul Vora. He started a a company called Superhuman. It's It's an email client. And it's supposed to be like the fastest, most efficient email client in the world. And the way that he perfected his business model was he came up with this questionnaire that you can find online. Mm -hmm. Or if you want, Adam, after the show, you can shoot me an email and I'll send you a link to include in the show notes. Yeah, please do. To the questions. Mm -hmm. But through these questions, it's like five questions that any business can ask. You're able to determine exactly what your market is looking for relative to your offering. And I did it. I did it for my base. We had a newsletter that went out to thousands of people. And I was like, listen, I'll give you a $25 gift card. Go ahead and fill out this questionnaire and let me know what you think about the restaurant. This was after we had been in business four years. We, we only lasted six. So after four years of knowing who my customer is, being in the restaurant six days a week, like really, like I'm in the mix. I was shocked by the results. Huh. Because I didn't learn? know. I, here's what I learned. I learned that happy hour for us was always an afterthought and it was the most important service according to the thousand people that responded to that newsletter. Yeah, yeah. I was shocked. I had no idea. We had never really focused on it. And everyone said, you know, what's your favorite service that we have? It's happy hour. It wasn't Sunday brunch, Saturday brunch. It wasn't dinner service. I mean, we were a dinner only restaurant for forever. It was happy hour and we had never thought about it. And everyone said, we feel like you could do a much better job with it. And like my response was, well, no shit. We never thought about it. We had never, we had never tried. Right. Um, and, and 
how could I be so blind to the needs and desires of the people I was trying to serve? Right. And it, it was through outreach. It was through generating media in those, in those last years that we were really able to like hone in, get to know our customer on a really intimate level. And the change was instantaneous. We generated an extra $750,000 in the last 12 months of the company, like on top of year over year sales. Uh, And we did it simply by understanding what our customer wanted and providing that in return. Just asking the question, just like we talked about at the start. But but meeting people where they are, Mm -hmm. right? Like they opened the newsletter. We had a really high open rate, so that worked. But if I didn't have a newsletter, I would have reached out on social media. I would have DM'd people that liked my post on social media if I was afraid they wouldn't see it. Yeah. I would actively reach out to my audience. It's so funny. You know, what comes to mind is uh, what's going on right now with all of these students that are in these hotel programs, these, in these, these administration programs for hospitality, that I don't think that this topic is, uh, has made its way deeply into the curriculum yet. It may just be getting talked about, but that's soliciting feedback and and being willing to change, not being so married to your idea of what you think what you're doing should be. Because it's not, I mean, it's your restaurant, but it's not your restaurant, right? I mean, you're selling something and you want people to buy more of it. So sell the thing that people are willing to buy. Don't die on the sword of just sticking to a platform that you think it should be. Uh, that's failing because you're just standing on principle. Or stand on principle, but leverage social media to find your audience. Yeah. You got to get, yeah, you, you have to you engage do, people. You can do it either way, but, but there, there needs to be engagement. Yeah. And for the longest time, you know, it's, they say, you know, most business plans are 30 pages. I always joke that, you know, restaurateurs, I, and I think this is probably true of, of hoteliers as well. You don't have a 30-page business plan. It's not even a page. It's like a line. I'm going to mm-hmm. open and people are going to show up. Yeah. And that's it. That's and you right. hope for the best. And there's, there's no strategy. You're exhausted. You ran over time. You ran over budget. Now you're open. Now the real work starts. And it's a disaster from the day you open because it's always a disaster from the day you open. This mm-hmm. isn't working. That's not working. That person didn't show up. And so you're constantly chasing your tail. And that narrative that is so important, that why that you explain to the community, this is why I'm here. Here's how I want to serve you. That story never gets told because you're too busy just trying to put out fires. It's true. You know, what is it? Mike Tyson says, so this is the second sports analogy that I'm or, or saying I'm using and I never Love use it, it, but everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. It's, it's the same thing in, in a restaurant or in a hotel. I mean, best laid plans. It's, it, until you start working with people in the front and the back of the house and your guests, you can have the best plan of all time. But you know, you, when you're in a, when you're in the weeds, you're in the weeds, you gotta, you know, you just gotta get your head down and get through it. For sure. And, and so to answer your question after droning on for 10 minutes, you know, how, how does somebody engage the community? How did how do they get the, that, that community buy-in for your restaurant or your bar or your fitness center? Mm-hmm. You just have to ask. I don't know. But like, I, if you want world-class advice, it would be to ask them, under what circumstance would you come to this re- restaurant once a month? Under what circumstance would you come to this restaurant once a week? Ah, yeah. Because, I mean, more is better. 
Why not? <laughs> Why not? What's your, so you had a, a restaurant in downtown LA. Um, and, you know, I, I'm in downtown Seattle now. I'm looking out my window and it's dead. There's hotels that never opened after they closed when this thing kicked off. Mm-hmm. We're seeing four lease signs go up in traditionally busy parts of the city. Retail and restaurants are just starting to close. And, you know, I'm seeing story after story about the migration of people away from downtown. Now it's workers are migrating from downtown. People living downtown are starting to move away to whether it's the outskirts or less expensive places. What's your take on where the restaurant industry, and this is a big question. um, So, you know, there may not be an answer, but, you know, what does that restauranter do that's got that downtown location right now? And they're seeing businesses close down around them. They're seeing people flee the area. Um, and they're trying to figure out like, where should I go? Should I try to stick it out downtown? Or do I look to go maybe out to the suburbs, which traditionally I would have said, forget it. I'm not going out there. But if that's where the people are, maybe it makes sense. What do you, what are your thoughts on that? It's a conversation we have all the time, restaurateur to restaurateur, hospitality professional to hospitality professional. And the advice that I give is the advice that I've taken, which is uh, I'll explore any opportunity, but like I'm never going to be in a situation again where if I'm not making money, someone else is. Mm. So, you know, broadly speaking, I would encourage everyone to expand their definition of team. Your team now includes your vendors. Your team now includes your landlord. Mm-hmm. And I would go to my landlord and I would say, listen, I think we all know what's coming, right? What's this world going to look like in six months mm-hmm. or in 12 months? If you value me as a tenant, this is how it's going to work moving forward. I'm going to go on a percentage rent. You can get 5% of net sales to start. That can grow to 9% or 10% with a ceiling of X dollars. And that's how we're going to do business. We're going to be strategic partners. I would turn to my vendors and I would say, net 30 terms aren't going to work anymore. I'll take net 45, we'll grow it to net 90 over time. In that time, you're going to work to get my my cost of goods down by 10 to 15%. That's not my job. That's your job because you supply me with the goods I need. So you work to get me the lowest rates possible. And then I'll adjust pricing accordingly to make sure we're still able to service the industry. I don't know what the average net profit of a hotel is on an annual basis, but the average net profit of a full service restaurant uh, year over year is about 6%, which is trash. Which is terrible. Trash. Yeah. I mean, a, a good hotel will run a 35 odd percent uh, GOP uh, on a yearly basis. And that'll, you know, it could be beginning of Q1, you might lose money. And then, you know, it just kind of ramps up as the year progresses. Um, but you know that the funny thing is in hotels and, and restaurants are very much the same way. You need to hit a threshold of occupancy and average rate just to make money, and you know that's typically I'm totally generalizing here, but that's sixty percent at a hundred dollars. Like that's a good yep. figure to have in your in your head. Uh, and you know nationally, we're not even at fifty percent. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know we're we're barely touching a hundred dollars nationally, but that's definitely skewed by overperforming mar- markets um, because the majority are are way below that. Um, so yeah, you know that that conversation is going on in the hospitality space right now. What do I do with this building? Um, you know, working with 
lenders working with your suppliers, just trying to figure out, you know, how we can improve cash flow in the building to keep the doors open. That's, that's a conversation that's happening what, every day. Why don't we ask a bigger question and say, should your doors be open? Mm-hmm. How much money yeah. were you making prior to the pandemic? And is this, be willing is this to a concept it. worth fighting for? You that's know? right. And not the, not the vanity uh, hotel or the, the trophy, the ego property where someone, you know, they, they, they're going to keep it open in the restaurant space too. You're going to keep it open because we got to keep the cash register going. You know, this is a, this is purely a principle move, not a, not a move that has any thought behind it or willing to look in the mirror and say, you know what, this is failing and maybe, and I'm at the helm. So I got to, I got to do something different here. You've got to read the tea leaves. I, I, I look at the hotel industry and, and the lack of business travel and probably the long-term decline of business travel. Now the company see how much money they can save. Yep. And you're looking at a whole sector within the hotel industry that, that probably won't dry up, but will probably shrink significantly. Mm-hmm. And if you're in that sector, you have to decide, You know, we have a large enough market share that this is worth it. Or you just say, not, not my bag. I'm not, I'm not going to fight over these crumbs. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with either decision, but you just have to know what decision you're making. Yeah. You know, we're seeing now properties shutting down for good. And these, like, you know, I read just the other day, the Hilton Times Square in New York <clears throat> shutting down. You would think that place is, regardless of how little travel is going on, a place like that has got to be able to find a way to make it work. There's always people around there, but that's just, it's not the case. So if they can't do it, um, you know, it's, uh, it's something that you got to be willing to make the tough choices and, and recognize reality. And, and for the record, I'm not advocating that everybody go my route and, and quit their job, shut down their locations and all of that. But I am advocating that you see it as an option. And, and that you, you see that if, if your situation is untenable or that you don't have the, the, the gusto to push forward, um, the, you make the right decision for you. Mm-hmm. These, these are businesses. These are, these are not, granted, the employment does affect living, breathing people, mm-hmm. but you are not obligated a, a, as a business owner to, to sacrifice your own life, your own health, your own well-being, your own financial security. Um, to, to, to ensure a dream that, that may never come to fruition. Yeah, that's, it's interesting you bring that up because a lot of business owners would, would maybe paralyzed by the sense of obligation to the people that have helped them build the business, the, the employees that have been there uh, and, and may make decisions that they think are in the best interest of everybody, but, but really they're not. If you, if you just scratch below the surface a little bit. Um, and that's a, again, that's a hard decision to come to, but you gotta, you gotta think about that these days. Well, and the other side's great. You know, so, you know, my master plan was, is to be super successful in the restaurant space and then make this pivot into media at some point down the road. I was going to move from Los Angeles to San Diego so I could be close to my in-laws. I wanted my daughter to go to school in San Diego. Um, and, and it just, it seemed like, you know, with the family support system, it would be an easier life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a plan to do that over the course of probably the next five years. I do that today. 
I'm sitting here talking to you from a, a beautiful house in San Diego. And, you know, my daughter's going to go to a great school once schools reopen and my in-laws live a block away and I'm producing the content that I always wanted to see. Yeah. And I'm, I'm living my best life. And not to say that I am rich and sitting on piles of money, but, but I, I do feel called to this right now. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like I am fulfilling my destiny, at the very least in the short term. And, and it is amazing how when you listen to that little voice in your head and you begin to advocate for yourself, how the universe rewards you by giving you exactly what you always dreamed of. I think that is the perfect place to wrap up the show. I, I can't top that. <laughs> Not that I would try, but you're, it's, it's been uh, really, really great to have you on the show, Josh. Um, appreciate your insight uh, and your fresh take on what's going on in our industry here. I think it's, uh, it's much needed out there. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It was my pleasure, man. You bet. So uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, where could they go? The easiest place is joshcopel.com. That'll give you a link to the tech company, a little background on me, a link to the show and all of the other stuff we're working on. Perfect. I'll, uh, we'll link to it in the show notes and uh, hopefully you get some good traffic from, uh, from the episode today. So uh, why don't we just wrap it up there, Josh? Thanks again for being on the show. We'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Thanks for listening to the show today. If you want to get in touch with Josh, head over to joshcopel.com. It's linked in the show notes. As for us, you can find past episodes and show notes at knowinghospitality.com. Just head over to the website. If you scroll down to the bottom, you'll find the resources tab. Everything lives right there. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Thanks for listening to the Proven Principles Podcast with Adam Knight. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. The podcast is brought to you by Knowing Hospitality, a full-service hotel management company that puts your performance first by rethinking the management model. Visit knowinghospitality.com to learn more. Until next time.